going to be preaching on a passage of Scripture today. It may be a little obscure to some of you. Uh, some of you may have never seen it before, but it's a great, great passage, and it has a wonderful message in it. I'm going to call it a blessing and a curse, continuing on today in our series, Moses, the man of God. Let's stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known, now it shall be, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Eval. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. The blessing and the curse. The blessing on Mount Gerizim. The curse on Mount Eval. The book of Deuteronomy is the composition of a number of messages that Moses preached as he neared the end of his life. They served to give the law to a new generation of God's people who've been born during the time when Moses gave the law originally on Mount Sinai. All these people have grown up, come to age. They've known the wilderness, lived in the wilderness. Now they're going to the promised land and they needed a re-giving or a retelling of the law and so in this series of messages that compose the book of Deuteronomy, we have that magnificent truth given to us and that demonstration of that constant reality that we're all living in as one generation is passing away and another generation is coming up, highlighting then our need as a people of God to continually be passing on the truth to our children and to our grandchildren. Now, this message today is built around what we could call a giant object lesson. Uh, I grew up in a time when uh, Sunday school classes were taught with uh, pieces of board, fabric, and uh, cut out pieces of paper called flanographs. Any of you here today identify with that? Whole generations now, yeah, uh, never know what a flanograph is. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was really high-tech stuff back in those days. I think mean, it was awesome. And you had those magnificent object lessons then because the story could be told and, and this figure could be put up and this figure be put up and this figure be put up. I bet kids would like it today if we'd do it. Uh, anyway, uh, not advocating going back to those things. There's some of you might be doing them now. I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, it's, a, it's an object lesson. That's what it is. It's giving them a, a visual, something to hang on, visual example of what's being taught. Now, in the land of Israel that they were going to, Moses knew that there were two mountains there. One was Mount Eval. One was Mount Gerizim. And what he introduces then to them in uh, chapter 11, he goes back to then in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Therefore, he says, when you cross over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones, which I'm commanding you today, on Mount Eval, and you shall cover them with plaster. There you must build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use any iron tool on them. 
You must build the altar of the Lord your God with whole stones. And you must offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You must offer peace offerings and eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. You must write all the words of this law very clearly on the stones. Now, the message, the instruction then that Moses gave to them, when you come into the land, he didn't specify a specific time. When you come into the land, uh, you're going to do this. It would actually take place after the conquest of Jericho, very famous uh, battle, the first of the battle, after the conquest of Ai, since this was a military campaign, there would have to be some subjugation of the enemy before they could gather together upon these two mountains and set up these pillars and write the name, the law of God on them and, and carry out the instructions that are given to them, very detailed instructions that we'll see in a few moments. And so doing all of this would require that the enemies in the land of Canaan would have to be somewhat subjugated. So it was after the conquest of Jericho, after the conquest of Ai, all the way up in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 35, when these instructions were carried out. In fact, uh, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Not a word was left out. They were all written down. They were all read, spoken plainly before the people. And the curses and the blessings, the curse that was to be established on Mount Eval, the blessing that was to be established on Mount Gerizim. All of these were very carefully played out exactly like Moses had said. We're very familiar with the location. Uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval are still known to us. It was in 1987, as a matter of fact, that a large native stone structure was found on Mount Eval. And the discoverer was convinced that he had found the remains of the altar that Joshua had built in Joshua chapter 8. But now that has been greatly disputed over time. We really don't know. Uh, he, the a discoverer was convinced. Uh, it certainly was an altar of some kind. It certainly was made out of stones that had not been cut, but natural stones. It was in the right place on the right mountain. It dated back to the right kind of time. Uh, but we don't know that. Uh, but we do know that these two mountains, Mount Eval, Mount Gerizim, were separated by valley. And the people of God, uh, six of the tribes were put on one mountain. Six of them were put on the other mountain. And uh, they would recite then to each other a series of blessings and curses so that the people of God would say, cursed be everyone. And, 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 and the people then on the other side of the mountain would say, amen, because they were validating. Amen. You see, it's not just something preachers made up along the way. Okay, this goes all the way back to the Bible. Here it is in Deuteronomy. Uh, the people would say something. They said, amen. They said, let it be. They're making an affirmation then. Yes, this is true. This is right. So when God's word said, you're going to be cursed if you do this, the people said, amen. That, they were giving validation to that. Yes, that curse is valid. We understand it. It is true. It is real. And the blessing then would be shouted by the people on Mount Gerizim. And the people then on Mount Eval would say, amen to the blessings. I'll give you just a little... Uh, 
quick uh, synopsis of this. It's in the whole thing, Deuteronomy 27, 28. Uh, read it when you get home. Cursed is the one, verse 15, cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination of the Lord, uh, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Uh, cursed is the one who treats his father or mother with contempt. <laughs> yeah, I snuck that one in on you. I did. I, the, the, there's like 19 of them in that passage, and I picked out that one. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Cursed is, is the one who treats his father and mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. So on one side, they're a mount of all. They would read this curse or shout this curse. And the people on the other side would say, Amen. And the blessing then, Deuteronomy 28 and 1, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. All of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. This was quite a big service. You think about all of those people, that massive number of people, six of the tribes on one mountain, six sides, uh, six tribes on the other, cursing and blessing. And the word of God, the law of God, standing on Mount Eval, chiseled into stone. We talk about something even today that's written in stone. And you know what that means. That means it's unchangeable. It's immutable, we say. It's written in stone. Now you might ask, well, are those stones there that Joshua wrote every word of the law upon? Uh, No, if they're there, we haven't found them. But we still have the Word of God. Uh, the, the words of Moses are still here. And these passages then, as we'll see, reach across all of these centuries to land right in our laps this morning. For God set before them and us a simple, powerful truth of a cursing and a blessing that is still available. We'll see the requirement then that is demanded and the fulfillment that is provided as we consider this great story of the blessings and cursings. Now, as we've gone through our consideration of Moses, I've paid careful attention to all of those passages, all of those incidents that are mentioned in the New Testament revelation. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy is one of, if not the most quoted books in the New Testament of all of the Old Testament books. And so we'll see this morning that what happened on these two mountains so long ago is brought up for us in the New Testament, given specific coverage and given a direct application to all of us. So we see then the requirement, the requirement first that is demanded. Verse 26, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. All the words of this law, all the words, all, did I mention all, all 
the words of this law. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say amen. And they did. And Paul brings that up to them. And then in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written. Where is it written? Deuteronomy 27, 26. It's written right here in this passage. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All. From Mount Ebal, long ago, this truth was shouted, and all of God's people affirmed it. Unless you keep all the words of the law of Moses, you are cursed. You are under the curse. If you violate any part of the law, uh, the law then sets a very rigid and inflexible standard. All of it. You could see that demonstrated back in the Garden of Eden when God gave the first law to humanity. And it wasn't ten commandments, it was one. How did we do on that one? We failed. With a test of only one question, you either make a hundred or a zero. Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? What did we make? Zero. So we think, well, there's 640-something commands in the law of Moses. So, you know, uh, one out of 644 wouldn't be all that bad. No, no, because, you see, to keep the whole law and yet offend in one point was to be guilty of all. Same thing. It's a hundred or zero. And how many do you have to miss? One. One. That was thundered by the people of Israel from Mount Ebal long, long, long ago. If you don't do all of the words of this law, then you are cursed. And Paul affirmed that in Galatians chapter 3. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, in everything that the law commanded. One of the great principles of the Bible is that God has always had the same plan for being right with Him. Always the same. It has always been and will always be justification by faith. We are justified by faith. It has always been then that God has set before people this same standard, the blessing and the curse. From the Garden of Eden all the way through, there's a blessing and a curse. Do what I tell you to do, you'll be blessed. If you fail to do what I tell you to do, then you're under the curse. Uh, God is righteous. God is holy. John put it best in his first epistle when he said that God is light and in him is no darkness. Uh, Neither shadow of turning. Not only is there no gray area with God, God is 100% light to the the point that he didn't ever ever flicker. There's not even ever a little bit of anything that's not 100% light and righteous and holiness and righteous with God. That absolute standard of God's righteousness and between God and man then, that standard of righteousness has been established all things. All things. 
when Jesus came, the great division between him and the religious leaders of his day and what they were teaching and what Judaism had become was that the Jewish leaders thought they were keeping all the words of the law. Jesus blasted them in John chapter 5 when he said, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are they, he said, which testify me. Paul would say they were ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. And they did not then submit to the righteousness of God. Why were they lost? Because they were convinced they were keeping the law. That's why Jesus did so much teaching. I don't have time to go into that this morning. But why Jesus did so much teaching in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you say that the law says this, but I say unto you, this is what it really is all about. So they had so adjusted and conformed uh, the, right, the law of God to where they could make it out in their own mind that they were keeping the law. They were convinced then they were doing what God had told them to do and that they were righteous before God. Because they were keeping law. This problem hasn't gone away. I couldn't begin to tell you today how many folks that I've talked to over the years that say, well, you know, I try to live a good life. I try to live by the good the Ten Commandments. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Trying is not good enough. Trying is not good enough. And if you're trying to live by the Ten Commandments and if you could go down the list and have them all memorized in your head, you say, well, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do this, I, do this, I don't do this. I'm going to tell you right now, you'll never get past the last commandment which says thou shalt not covet because the word covet is to have an improper desire. That means it's not just a sin to do something, it's a sin to even want to do it. And that's what got the Apostle Paul. He said in his own testimony in Romans chapter 7, that's what got him under conviction. That's what gets us all. Even if we could keep the rest, and we really can't, but even if we could, we can't get past that one. Thou shalt not covet. Trying, you see, to keep the law of God has never been good enough. And so God used Moses literally with one of the last messages that he would ever preach in his life to establish this great object lesson to write out the words of the law plainly, to have it read plainly and clearly before the people. And there on Mount Hebal, <coughs> to shout it out again and again and again, 18 times if I counted right, again and again and again. These words would thunder across the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Cursed is everyone who doesn't do all the words of this law. And that same truth still thunders here in Cabot, Arkansas today. Cursed is everyone that doesn't keep all the words of this law. If you think this morning that you're right with God because you're trying to do right or because you're trying to do good, then you have to look on the flip side of it. There's a blessing out there, the blessing of righteousness, the blessing of salvation. God says, I put before you a curse and a blessing. But before you can get to the blessing, you've got to deal with the curse. Do I ever fall short? Have I ever failed? Have I ever messed up? You can set your own standard. Do you ever fall short even of your own standards? 
because the standard with God is absolutely, absolute perfection. Being right with God is not like horseshoes where you get credit for being close. No. Mm -mm. And so God puts before them this standard. And within that, we see very vividly then portrayed God's righteous requirement. The requirement that he demands. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law. If you don't do all of this law, you're under the curse. Well, if that's all I had for you today, it'd be a pretty discouraging message. But as we dwell on that for a moment and let that truth just sink into our minds and hearts just a little bit, we'll understand a little bit more about why the good news is called the good news. There's good news. There's a fulfillment that is provided. Galatians 3.11, Paul continued, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. Amen. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. There, he's quoting Moses again. But then he gives us this incredible truth. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. You see, the absolute written in stone, unchangeable, infallible law of God was when it was given and remains today an impossible standard. It is an impossible standard. And so Paul could say it clearly and plainly. No man is justified by the law. But notice that on that very mountain so long ago where God established the curse. There on Mount of all, the curse of the law was written in stone. God did something else. He said, build an altar there. Build an altar not over there on the mountain of blessing. No, we're going to build an altar where? Where the curse is. We're going to build an altar where the law is. And the curse is uttered that says, Cursed is everyone that doesn't obey every word of this law. So where God established the curse of the law, then God built an altar. And he said, you must build this uh, not with the stones that you use any iron tool on. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 27 you must build, of the Lord, build the altar of the Lord your God with whole stones. And you must offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Why whole stones? Uh, you see, the stones were made by God alone. I'm not going to have man messing with them. Not, when man's not going to improve them. Not going to work on them. Not hew them out. No. This altar was by God's design and by God's provision. God designed it and God provided for it. So on that same mountain then where God put the curse, God put the altar. And it was there that they would offer their blood sacrifices. The blood of bulls and of goats would never take away their sins. 
but it was a picture of the sacrifice where Jesus Christ would pour out his royal blood for your sins and for mine and where his sacrifice ultimately then would pay the price for their sin. So where God then placed the curse, God also placed that glorious picture of the one who would become a curse for us. So that the truth then that God said of Abraham, God, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. As it was said by Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. So it was revealed there on Mount Evol long ago that there was one who would take our curse. One who would become a curse for us so that we could be right with God. What a great passage. Moses would go on to say then these words of incredible significance. Verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. Nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Now you might read Moses' words there and kind of wonder if what he was talking about. He's talking about, okay, God's given us a commandment, but... Uh, you know, I need somebody to help me with this. I, you know, is somebody going to, do I need to go get somebody, some heavenly being and bring him over here? To, do I need to send down to this and get a hold of somebody down there and get them? And I, uh, we, we kind of struggle understanding what Moses maybe was all talking about. But you know, the New Testament gives us perfect clarity. Because Paul quoted this passage in Romans 10. Romans 10 and 5 says that Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Where? Right there, Deuteronomy 30. I just read it. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. You see what Moses is thinking about. We need somebody who can do this for us. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but it's not my job to bring Christ down. You see, Christ is going to come down. It's not my job then. uh, We need somebody who's going to suffer like we do and and who would go into the grave for us and and, and experience a pain and death and condemnation that goes along with it and and, and then come back. But but that's not up to us to do because Paul said Jesus is going to do it for us. So when he was talking about ascending into heaven, he was talking about bringing Christ. When he talked about descending into the abyss, it was only Christ then who could come back from the dead, who could do this for you. And so what did Moses say? Therefore the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. What does Paul say that is? That's the word of faith we preach. And after he finished saying that, he said two passages of Scripture, actually several more, but a couple of them that are incredibly famous to us. And the chances are, if you've been in church all your life and been in Sunday school, at some point in time, you learned about the Roman road. And you memorized what Paul would go on to say. That if you confess with your mouth, the word is nigh you. That word of faith that we preach, it's even in your mouth and in your heart. 
So that if we what? If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him of the dead, thou shalt be saved. But with the mouth, uh, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, yeah. Moses preached quite a sermon. Paul helped him out with it. And I get to preach it a little bit today. I tell you, I'm having a good time. I hope y'all are. Because uh, this is a great, great passage. I can summarize what Moses said so long ago at the conclusion of his message after he told them, okay, y'all get up there. Half of you get on Mount Ebal. Half of you get over here on Mount Gerizim. There on Mount Ebal, you write down all the words of these law, and you write them, by the way, in stone. Plaster those stones over, write them in the past plaster, and then you read them to the people. Every word. And Joshua did it. He gave them 18 different pronunciations of curses. So I don't know how many blessings. You get them up there and you have them shout these things back to one another. Cursed is everyone. Cursed is that. Yeah, yeah. Blessing, blessing, curse, blessing. Amen's in the middle. And when it's all done, you remind them. That unless they do every word of this law, they're under the curse. But by the way, there's a message in here for you. And it's not that you need to bring him down from above or bring him up from the abyss. Because God's going to do that for you. It is about a word that is in your mouth and in your heart. And that word is... I believe on Jesus Christ. I believe in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I believe in the one who's going to become my curse and take my curse. Who'll take the death that I deserved. And he'll live and give me the life that I don't deserve. But thank God I have it. That word of faith that we preach. So today we look back then on this great passage and this great experience. A mountain of cursing, a mountain of blessing. And the only way to get from the curse to the blessing is by the altar. It's the only way. God's message to humanity hasn't changed a bit. It is still that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. But God didn't just set before us a message that was just a curse because God set before us both a curse and a blessing so that he could say that the wages of sin is death. But thank God he also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, have you received that gift today? Well, I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Trying's not going to get you there. I'm trying to do right. No. The message of the curse is that you have to do all the words of the law. And you can't. And you never will. 
And the message that God gave was of a curse and a blessing with an altar in between them. That pictured the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Have you trusted in him? It's no wonder that that same Paul then would call us in Romans chapter 12. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto him. Which is our reasonable service. It's not like we look at this and say, well, you know, I was under the curse and there was the curse of the law, but I've been delivered from all that. So now I just don't have to wonder about how I live or what I do or how I carry on. I've accepted Jesus, so let me just go. No, Paul calls us to do what? Well, he, he says you need to make another trip to that altar, not to get saved again, because you can't. You've gone from the curse to the blessed side. That, that's, that's, but there's something else we need to put on that altar. And that's us. Because in light of what Jesus Christ did for me, nothing else makes sense. That's why I said that's our reasonable service. You see, when they went to that altar so long ago, that priest would trot out that little animal, whatever it was that they'd brought. And if it was a blood sacrifice, the priest would always do the same thing. He'd lay his hands on the head of that animal. And that person then who had brought it was being, and his sin, that person was being identified with that offering. This animal is dying in my place. He's given his life so that I can live. And so for us to put our life back on that altar, not because we have to, but because we want to, because it's our act of worship to God who's done so much for us, for us to put ourselves back on that altar. Makes a lot of sense. Let's stand together, please.